Well, we're getting back into the book of Romans. You know, we've been taking it in chunks, chunks the way the Bible of the, or the book of Romans is laid out. And now we're in this section that will be uh, one of the most challenging, one of the most exciting, and one of the most far-reaching as we think about what God's doing in the world. As we think about the book of Romans, though, remember what we've said. The book of Romans, this letter written to a church and churches in Rome gives the most penetrating analysis of the problems of the world and brings the only solution there is. And so people need to hear it. The world needs to be reading and hearing if they want to understand what is happening in the world and why. So we're excited to be back into it as we dive in this morning. Let me just uh, bring you into a little bit of a story that happened. Many of us probably are really familiar with it. About a year and a half ago, a little bit more, there was a a man named Stephen Thomas. Now, Stephen Thomas, uh, probably you don't remember the name, but you'll remember the story. He owns 7,000 bitcoins. And you remember what happened to his story was that he put his password into an app where all he had to remember was one password. So now let's do a little bit of math. I looked at the closing of bitcoins today. It's selling today at just under $22,000 of bitcoin. So he has 7,000 bitcoins, a little bit more. If you do 7,000 times 22,000, he has about $154 million tied up in bitcoins. But here's the problem. He can't remember the password. $154 million and he can't remember the password. Now, he put all his passwords in a simple bucket called Iron Key. Iron Key is a beautiful app. It gives you 10 opportunities to pull up. So if you can't remember your password, you've got 10 tries. He's on number nine. He's restless. He's scared. And he's got all kinds of people reaching out to him as this story went viral, telling him all kinds of things and giving him all kinds of advice. One of the best words of wisdom that he received was, maybe the password is password. (laughs) This morning, this morning we're going to see what the real password is. If you have your Bible, if you have your Bible, Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Now we've already pushed through eight chapters. We're going to be looking at this next few weeks, 9, 10, and 11. And we're going to see an amazing thing that God is doing in the lives of people and in the world. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand? I'm going to read just a few verses in Romans 9. Romans 9 verse 1, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish 
that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Father, it was a kindness, just sheer kindness, that you revealed your plan, that you laid it out so clearly. You gave us the password. You opened the door for us. But as we're going to find out, some people have forgotten. They can't remember. So God, right now this morning, I ask for your Holy Spirit to stir in our midst. That your Spirit would touch the lives of every person here, everyone online that's listening, that's tuning in, that's following the live stream. God, that you have a message for this world. You have something you want to say, and you know what's going on in each individual lives here. You know what hurts they brought in this morning. You know what pain. You know what confusion. You know what is exactly happening. So God, we ask that you'd speak. Make your word clear to all of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may grab a seat. Well, I just want to begin. I, I have two points. The first one is this, is that God's heart for the world is on display. God's heart for the world is on display. And, and that's what we begin to see as the Apostle Paul brings us into this story this morning. So let, let's just dive in. I want to look at this first couple verses here. Look what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, I, I speak the truth. And then he, he, he makes it in the negative, I'm not lying, right? He, he's trying to use some rhetorical device to get his readers, the listeners, when the letters were read in the various churches in Rome, he was grabbing their attention. Hey, I'm speaking the truth. What I'm going to say now in these next few chapters, I'm telling you, I'm not lying. He goes on, he says, my conscience bears me witness by the power of the Holy Spirit because he's speaking in the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Spirit. And then look what he says next. He brings you right into his heart. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Great sorrow, unceasing anguish. And then he says some of the hardest, most difficult things. I wish that I myself were accursed, eternally damned, and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers and sisters, my kinspeople, according to the flesh. I mean, he's driving us right into the very heart of everything that he's thinking about. He's bringing us to this place of the anguish and pain of his heart. And we ask, why is his heart so wrinkled? Why is his heart being pressed into this kind of description where he uses words like great sorrow and unceasing anguish? And the answer is really pretty simple. 
He has been talking about a word that has shocked the world for 2,000 years. And it's the word grace. Grace. What divides Christianity from every religion of the world is this concept of grace that is found in Jesus Christ. So when we say the book of Romans brings about the most penetrating analysis with the solution, the solution is we could not fix our lives. We are such a mess. We have destroyed and will destroy everything we touch apart from Christ. And what Paul is bringing us into, it's the grace of God. God breaks in, he intervenes, and he begins to show us who he is and what he is doing so that God is taking us to this place it's something let me just say it again because grace is so important it's telling you and me that a relationship with God is not possible on our own strength by our own effort on our own merits that it's God who breaks into this world by grace, we don't earn it, we can't deserve it. He just brings it and says, you can have a relationship with the true and living God by grace, by grace. That's how we are saved, by grace, through faith, faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul brings us. Now, it's interesting as you reflect on this, the Apostle Paul, right, he, he's talking about this deep pain of the heart, this grief, this anguish. And I'm like, where do you get that anguish? Where, where do you get, like, what caused that pain? I realize the more you spend time with someone, the more you take on their heart. So you see couples that are married 50, 60, 70 years, and people will say, wow, they look alike. In fact, they'll, they'll even start to talk alike and they'll, they'll have mannerisms and, and they'll have all these expressions and, and they just start to meld together. And what I realize is that as the Apostle Paul grew with God through Christ, he started taking on the very heart of God. And God's heart is for people. That's why I say God's heart for the world is on display. When you and I, can we personalize it now? When you and I are tight with God, when we walk with God, when we are in His Word and allowing His Word to change us, to transform us, we will begin to take on the very heart of God. And I'll tell you what's going to start melting away. All the rudeness, incivility, harshness, bitterness, anger that is so a part of this world. We begin to see that God so loved the world. That's God's heart, and it's on display. It's on display through God's people, and here we're seeing it on display in the heart of the Apostle Paul. Now, Jesus had the same heart. Remember Jesus, he's within hours of being on the cross. And he's riding on that donkey. And he comes up on the hill and he sees the city of Jerusalem. And you know what happens next? He starts to weep. He just weeps. And then he says this. On the lips of Jesus, he said, If you would have known the password. 
Oh, he says it a little differently. He said, if you would have known what would bring peace. They didn't know the password. They didn't know what would bring the deep inner peace. And so Jesus is weeping over unbelief. The Father weeps over unbelief. And we should weep over unbelief because that's what's going to drive the understanding of chapters 9, 10, and 11 of the letter of Romans is that there's these people called the Jews that simply won't believe. Look what he goes on and says in verses 4 and 5. He then gives a, a list of things that are happening with the Jews and how significant they were in history. He says, first of all, he says, according to the flesh, that is actual human beings of Jewish descent, he says in verse 4, he says they belong, it says, first of all, to the adoption. To the adoption, right? These are people that God chose. These are people's that God said, this is my people. So when, when they were in Egypt, and Moses, right, one of the, the carriers of the message, he, he goes to Pharaoh, the most powerful leader in the world at that time. And he looks him in the eye and he says, this is what God says. Let my people go. He wanted to bring them into freedom, and he wants to bring you and me into freedom. Not kind of the freedom the world talks about, not even the freedom that the United States talks about, but a freedom that transcends all of that, a freedom of our heart and soul. And so God did this by adopting these people. And then it says that they were the the recipients of glory, the recipients of glory. God's presence was among the people. This is what the Jews received. They were not only chosen by God, adopted His people, they got to see His glory. They got to see His glory in the sacrifices at the temple and the Shekinah glory. That, that's an expression. It's, it's not found in the Scriptures, but it's a, 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 a picture that the rabbis would use to describe the presence of God. And, and the Hebrews got to see the presence of God. Remember when God was leading them out of Egypt, what did He say? I have a pillar of cloud to lead you during the day, and I have a pillar of fire to lead you at night. This was the presence of God among His people as he was taking them into freedom. He doesn't stop there, though. I mean, I could just go on and on about all these different things. But the next thing he says, the covenants. They received the covenants. God had made promises to his people. He made promises to people like Noah. I'll never flood the earth again. He made a promise to Abraham. Out of you is going to come a great nation. He made a promise to David. He made a promise to us in this new covenant. God is a God of covenants, and God is a God of promises. And the people of Israel were the ones who were receiving this first covenant. Then it says the law. I'm going to tell you how to relate to me. I'm going to tell you how you can understand me. I'm going to connect with you through this vehicle. And this was given exclusively to the Hebrews. 
It's an amazing idea. Then he goes on and talks about worship and, and that they would be given the, the, the way to worship God and extol Him and praise Him as we try to do every Sunday. As we come and gather, we want to hear. And then he goes on and he talks about the promises, right? There's various promises that God has made through the Scriptures and what He wants to do. And then, let me hit the last one here, the, the patriarchs, right? The, the fathers of the faith. And, and he's not talking about just Abraham. He's talking about Abraham because there was a promise given to Abraham that you're going to have a son. And even though he's almost 100 years old and Sarah's almost 90, like who bears children then? But God says, you're going to bear one. And they bear a child together and they name him Isaac. And then Isaac and Rebekah have trouble bearing children. And God says, but you're going to have some. And as they get older, we see the same pattern, God fulfilling the the pattern of promise and fulfillment. And these are the patriarchs. We could go on through Joseph and Daniel and all these others through there. But then at last, he comes to the place in verse 5 and he says, and from their race, out of the Hebrew nation, it says, according to the flesh, trying to bring it into a historical faith. See, that's what's so amazing about Christianity. That's what's so amazing about Judaism is it's grounded in history. You can investigate it. You can study it. You can know it. You can watch it unfold. And God says here, according to the flesh, is the Christ, right? The Christ and so what God intended was that the nation of Israel would be mediators to the world. And they have been. In an amazing way, the Old Testament has revealed truths that no one in the world could know if they weren't revealed this way, if we choose to believe them. And it says in Exodus chapter 19, it says, you shall be my own treasured possession. Don't you love that word? Treasured possession. That's what God says about His people. And that's what He says about you and me this morning. He says, among all the peoples, He says, you are the treasured possession. You are the treasured. And then He says, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be for me a kingdom of mediators, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. You'll be set apart. So in Exodus so we're talking, this was written about 1400 B.C., 1400 B.C., so almost 3,500 years ago, God is laying out His plan to the world that He is going to work through one nation, Israel. He's going to fulfill His promises, establish His covenants, and He's going to do it through the Christ. What an amazing concept as we think about all these different things. So as you can begin to see, Christ is supreme. So let me just say it a little differently. Christ is the password. I don't want you to miss it. Christ is the password. And we're not talking about a $154 million reward. What we're talking about, if we go to a passage like Luke chapter 12, God says this, do not fear my little flock. The Father is pleased to give you His entire kingdom. <laughs> That's just an expression to say there is nothing that God is going to hold back from His people. Don't fear. And the password to all of that is Jesus Christ. 
What an amazing truth. But now, I can tell you're ready to go a little deeper, aren't you? You're ready to go a little deeper. Let me just ask a question. How many of you are list makers? Raise your hand if you're a list maker. Oh, come on, there's more of you than that, right? Okay, I'm going to tell you what I do. I I have a master list of all the things I'm going to do in the next month, Lord willing. Then, as I look at that master list, it requires a bunch of little steps. I've got post-its. I'll bet I have 20 post-its with lists made on how I'm going to accomplish this master list. They're on my desk, they're in my day timer, they're in my office, they're in my Bible, and I got them all, all these lists. I am a list maker. So I was talking to a friend this week, and, and he is a list maker too. And so he was telling me about a problem he had in his marriage. And so to start working on his marriage, he started making lists. And so at the top of the list, he put his wife's name, and then he said what he was going to do that week to keep her at the top of the list. He'd bring her flowers, take her on a date, do something special, right? And so he had these lists, and everything was going along well until she found the list. She said, I don't want to be on some goofy list. Now, why did she say that? Because she doesn't want to be a to-do. She wants to be in a relationship, a heart-driven relationship with her husband. When I say Jesus Christ is a password, I'm not saying put him at the top of the list and check it off. Hey, I'm in church today. Bam. Good thing. Hey, I read my Bible this morning. Check it off. Bam. Right? I I went to my life group this week, and I fulfilled the assignments, and I connected with people. Bam. No. Christ wants to be all in all of your relationship. Then the lists come later. You see the difference? So when I say Christ is a password, I'm talking about a heart attitude driven for Jesus Christ. People that are passionate for Him, that are here on Sunday morning saying, I'm seeking Jesus Christ. I'm seeking His presence, His goodness, His power, His wisdom, His knowledge. Then everything else in this world can come next. But He needs to be front and center of all of our lives. And that's what the Jews were missing. They were going through the law and they were checking it off. They were meeting the deeds that were written there and saying, hey, we're fulfilling it. That's not what God wants. He wants the heart of his people. And he can see the heart of yours. And he can see my heart. Going way back to when we started this whole series, I asked you to memorize just one verse. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 
God's good news, that's what the gospel is, will bring us out of Egypt. The good news will bring us out of bondage. It'll bring us into freedom. It brings us into the promised land. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed. It's the power of God. And then look what he says, to the Jew first. And that was the historical work of God in human history to bring it through Jesus Christ. But look what it says to everyone who believes. Let me say, as I've said in the past, there is no other solution in this world. There is no other password in the kingdom. There is no other way into a relationship with the true and living God apart from Jesus Christ. Now let me be really clear. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. What I'm telling you is that apart from Christ, you will be eternally condemned. As Paul said, accursed. We would say eternally damned. And to escape that damnation it's found in jesus christ so i plead with you if you're here this morning and you have never put your trust in jesus christ for your sins for your disobedience for your hard heart for your unbelief today is the day to do it if you're watching online let me encourage you if you've never done this now is the time how do you do it you just fall on the grace of god the grace of god god i don't deserve it I can't earn it. I want your forgiveness for my sin, for my rebellion, for my disobedience. You fall on the grace of God. You call out for this grace. And God says, I'll forgive you and I'll cleanse you. I'll remove your guilt and wipe away your shame. That's the hope of the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about. I plead with you, today is the day to find salvation in Christ. Well, hey, I want to push on a little further. I want to hit the next part real quickly. God's promises never fail. If you've turned to Christ, let me tell you, His promises never fail. Let's look at verses 6 to 13. But it's not as though the Word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, listen to this, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So what's happening is Paul is preaching in this church at Rome, and these Jews that are there are crying out. They don't like this idea of grace. They don't understand it. And they're saying, 
Paul, if what you're saying is true and all these Gentiles can come in, then what about us? Has God forsaken his people, the Jews? What a pressing problem. What a thorny issue that is getting raised. And Paul does not shrink back. Verse 6, it is not as though the word of God has failed. The Jews were looking at what Paul was saying about the hope in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. All the things that we have studied, chapters 1 to 8, and what Paul is saying now is God's promises never fail. Now, in order to show that, he talks about two people. He talks about two people. The first is this. There's the physical descendants of Israel. These are the people that can show a biological lineage to Abraham and back. So we see that. And then we see there is the spiritual Israel. Those who have believed. And all through history, from the beginning with Moses, when the nation was called out, it actually goes back right to Abraham, the father of the nation. But when he calls them out, there's these mosaic covenant given these promises given and they did not believe and paul is saying that has always been the case there's always been the case look what he says here he says for he is not a jew who is one outwardly nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh but he is a jew who is one inwardly he's talking about spiritually So what's he saying to you and me this morning? God is telling you and me, it's not by what we do externally that makes us a Christian. You can come to church, but that doesn't make you a Christian. You can do good things, that doesn't make you a Christian. I have a lot of people, everybody telling me they're Christians, but they live like the world and they live like the devil and they're not showing humility and kindness and love to even their enemies that Jesus called us. And if we're going to become like Jesus, we need to love people that we disagree with. We need to find ways to be kindness. He's talking about issues of the heart inwardly and circumcision that which is of the heart that God is bringing about. It's of the spirit. And the praise is not from men, but the praise is from God because only God can do it. So God is bringing us into the truth of His Word. Let's hit these very quickly that we just read. Here's the first one, and it's this, that God, has God's promises failed? No. The promise of the true Israel. God has always had a remnant. You follow all the Old Testament. There's always been believers. People that were obedient following Jesus or following God the Father. Jesus Christ was still the promise. So we begin to see that there was always a true Israel. There was always what the Old Testament calls a remnant, a group of people. And what I want to say is even in the church today, there's a remnant. That's why 2 Corinthians 13 says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Here's the second thing he says, the promise to Abraham. Abraham, as I've shared already, was barren, or Sarah was barren, and they were up in age, and God had made a promise, and the promise was that he would be about a great nation. So what he's doing, he doesn't mention Ishmael. Remember, 
Abraham tried to take it into his own hands. And Abraham went in with uh, Hagar and they had a son, Ishmael. And God said, no, no, it's not Ishmael. It's going to be Isaac and he's going to come from your bodies. And that was a promise given to Abraham and God fulfilled it. And Paul is saying, listen up because this becomes important. Let's hit the third one that he brings up. And that is this, the promise to Isaac. Isaac too, as I mentioned, had trouble with Rebecca having children. God said, finally, they were going to have kids. And remember, they had Jacob, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the younger. And that's why it says at the very end, the older will serve the younger. God chose Jacob. He didn't choose Esau. Now, why does he do all this? Because he wants to show that he is sovereign over this entire world. That there is nothing outside of his control. And so when it says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, he is not using a sentimental expression. What he is telling you and me is that he had a plan, and the plan was, I wanted Jacob. It's a Hebrew idiom to say, I chose Jacob which is very uncommon, very different from what the world would do. The world would say, at that time, the older. But God said, no, I want the younger. And out of Jacob comes the 12 tribes of Israel. And out of the 12 tribes, if we pressed it further, we're going to find the Messiah. So Paul is saying, has God's promises failed? Absolutely not. God is faithful in all that he does. Our faith is anchored in history. God is faithful. So this morning, as we wrap up and we begin to dive deeper into Romans next week, I want you to see that God is faithful. God fulfills everything. He's going to show a way. He will not fail. But there is a true Israel And there is a true Christian. It's the one who is not one externally, outwardly, but the true Christian is the one that is humbled and has found forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ. Not perfect people, forgiven people. God is faithful. His promises never fail. Let's pray together. Father, as we wrap up this morning, I just pray for everyone here That Jesus Christ would be our password. He would be the way in. But He wouldn't be at the top of a list. He would be our all in all. He would be the one that would lead us and guide us. Show us how to be kind and humble and loving and caring and gentle. That we would take on His characteristics as we spend more time with Him. God, You are always faithful. Your promises never fail. You always show a way. Help us to believe. And then, Father, help us with our unbelief. Amen.